that we could have just went home and everything would have been fine. Um, what's that? Yeah. On how to get along with family members. Um, well, anyway, um, today is the first day in 55 years that I am unemployed. I finished my term that I was serving, and uh, it seems kind of strange, even though it hasn't quite hit yet. But the last oh, couple of weeks especially, you know, people ask me, what are you going to do? And I looked at them purposely with kind of a puzzled look. You mean I have to do something? <laughs> <laughs> but as time went on, I, I kept getting asked this, more and more, and my answer was, the Lord will have something for me to do. And this is the first day unemployed, and here I am. So I didn't know he was going to respond quite that quick, but he did, and I'm grateful. Um, so let's uh, let's begin in prayer, and, and then we'll go on. Father, I, I thank you for the privilege to come here and and speak to your people. Your word tells us that if we love you, we are to feed your sheep. And I pray that I will do that to the best of my ability. And with your help, uh, you will be glorified and we'll draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. January, time of resolutions, right? Um, most of us, how many of you make New Year's resolutions? I think we talk about it a lot, but I, I'm not sure that many people really do it. And if we do, you kind of make one. And if I asked you February 1st what it was, you probably would have forgot. Um, if you're like me anyway. Um, but I think it's time today to choose a resolution that will last. One that will last for basically all eternity. How many of you are as close to God as you can possibly be? I don't see many hands. I wish that we all could claim that. But I think we all have uh, improvement to be made. And uh, that's what I want to speak about today. Um, James 4, 8 says, draw near to, to God and he will draw near to you. I took him at that promise. Well, I don't know exactly how far back. The thing I can tell you that he'll keep his part of that bargain. He will draw closer to you. But drawing closer means strengthening your relationship with God. And how do we do that? How do we get to know him better? He already knows us. We don't have to worry about that part. But we get to know him by spending time with him, the same as we do other people, talking with him, reading his written word, trusting him, um, obeying him. I just about forgot that one, and it's one that we most often, we kind of like to forget. But there is an old song that we sang in the old Baptist church, was trust and obey because there's no other way. And I think that still applies to us today. Um, but this takes a commitment to, to do these things. Uh, Remember, at Christmas, we celebrate our Lord Emmanuel, 
Emmanuel means God with us. He's still with us. He's still with us. Um, I, I, I think back to the election that we just had, and uh, we talked about it a little bit in Sunday school today, and we wonder, depending on who got elected and what your preferences are, we basically place uh, our beliefs that they secure this nation. They're the hope that we uh, have to hope for, at least for the next four years. Uh, we talked about it in a Sunday school class. They're only going to be there for four years or possibly eight. God has sat on his throne from the beginning, and he'll be there through the very end. Um, if you want to know how where the security lies for this nation, it lies with God himself. Um, in addition to the Holy Spirit that he left as a counselor for us, meaning that physically Jesus is not with us, but he is here in spirit. He's left the counselor to guide us, counsel us. He's left our word, his word. We talk about it often, how his word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. Really, we have no excuse for, for uh, stumbling in this world and making poor life decisions. You okay? Lay on. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't sure about that, but okay. Um, but we talk about the resolutions, and, and, and just think about it, what you encounter throughout the year. Every day there could be new questions that you have, new problems that you deal with. Um, so I don't think having a resolution or even a couple of them is, is much of an answer. But I wanted to share with you something that's been of help to me for quite some time. Um, and that's the daily devotional. It addresses some of these same things that we encounter day after day. And it's surprising how often uh, the book that I use is here and yet you follow it, it's got the date on it and all that, but it's surprising how often uh, the message for that day, that little devotional, is exactly what you need. Possibly not even for yourself, but it might be to help you as you encounter uh, things with other people throughout the day. Um, the devotional that I've been using is called Turning Points. It's put out by David Jeremiah, but there's many uh, different ones to choose from. I got new glasses, so if I'm holding them up here once in a while, <laughs> don't pay much attention. Uh, I did give a copy of this same uh, devotional to my children. Uh, I know at times they read it. When I go there, they make sure that it's sitting up on top so I can see it. But I, I, I hope that they apply it in their in their lives as well. But I want to begin by uh, just sharing a few of these things. It's basically, you could probably say a bunch of mini-sermons if you would. Um, the first one begins, uh, each one of them have a verse or a couple of verses that they, that they deal with. First one is John 15:4, And it reads, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And what a great place to start. 
if you're not abiding in the vine, the rest of it probably won't make so much difference. But if there's times in your life when you're, you feel that you're not making much of an impact in this world, maybe it's time to give it over to God. We need to spend time in his word, in prayer. Uh, we're, not, we're often enamored about what a person does, but God is more concerned about who we are. Being always comes before doing in his eyes. So abide in him. Joshua 24:15. Wow. You picked a song that kind of fits right in with that. I don't know if you did that on purpose, but what did I tell you when you, you asked me what songs would fit with the sermon? I said, the Lord will work it out. Wasn't that my first question or my first answer? And he does. Joshua 24:15. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. First song we sang. We didn't plan it, did we? But he did. It's good. But we should follow the examples of people like Joshua, like Abraham, who chose to serve the living God, while others in the world chose to serve the gods of this life. In making choices in your life, choose ones that lead to life now and forever. Most of these that I, that I get from here have a little bit more than that, and later I'm going to just take some right out of here and share them with you. But these are a few that I wanted to share first. John 17:17, 17, 17, your word is truth. The Bible is knowable. It's not something that we can't understand. It may seem puzzling at times, but if you will prayerfully keep on reading it, hearing it, studying it, you'll increasingly understand the truths that it claims, to claim the promises that are there, to echo its prayers and share this message. I have an opportunity to do that today, and I'm, and I'm grateful for that. But keep reading. I don't know that I've ever given a message in my whole life when I haven't told people to be in the Word, because I think it's probably as an important uh, uh, thing as I could tell you. Proverbs 3.32 says, For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. I really like this one, and it has a little humor to it, uh, but it has quite a message as well. A couple is driving home after being out on their 25th wedding anniversary dinner. And she in the passenger seat, he behind the wheel. Dreamily, the wife says, Honey, remember when we used to sit close to each other in the car? The husband answered, Well, sweetheart, I haven't moved. I've been right here all the time. And Christianity is a relationship. It's not a religion. Relationships demand time together if they are to grow. If God doesn't seem as close to you today as he used to, remember, he hasn't moved. Quite a message. I hope that that sticks in your mind at some point in time. It'll surface, I'll guarantee you. 1 Corinthians 13.8, love never fails. This verse is not talking about the glossy, romantic, starry-eyed things that we see and 
in uh, music and in uh, movies is talking about a reasoning, redeeming, a choosing part type of a sacrificial love. It's the power that moves us to respond to people that have have, have needs with no expectations uh, for rewards. If things are tense at home, if you're having trouble with a loved one, uh, perhaps a, a fellow employee, if someone has insulted you, love that person anyway. If that doesn't work, double the dose. That was a little lesson for that day. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And those of you that are parents especially will really like this one. Here's a man in the supermarket. He's pushing a cart that has quite a few things in it, including a screaming, crying baby. As the man proceeded along the aisles, he kept repeating, Keep calm, George. Don't get excited, George. Don't get upset, George. Don't yell, George. A lady was watching with admiration and said to the man, You are certainly to be commended for the way that you are teaching patience and love to little George. Lady, he declared, I'm George. It's, it's amazing of, of the things that we share today. That might be the one that you remember the most, you know. Uh, and I love when we can learn when it's funny at the same time. But all parents can relate uh, to that story. It seems at times that Ephesians sh- should have uh, probably been rewritten and, and said children don't annoy your parents when in the supermarket. But it doesn't. Perhaps the reason for that is is that parents are to be the example of God's love and children learn the best from observation. So parents, this is a call for us to be that good example. 1 Peter 3.8 Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. A lot of us need to know and understand the difference between unison and harmony. The Bible doesn't tell us to live in unison. Your friends, your family, your fellow believers all have different personalities, uh, backgrounds, opinions. We have different levels of spiritual maturity, um, different strengths, weaknesses, different gifts. We aren't all going to agree on everything. Instead of being argumentative, learn the secret of harmony. I'm going to share a few more uh, with you as time permits. I'll just keep on until... Actually, I was just supposed to start right now. You might get the whole thing. I don't know. <laughs> but it's all right. If, you, if, you're, if you're tired, I understand there's a few that were up playing... Um, was it Pinnacle or something? So there might be some tired people here, and, and, and that's all right. But... To help my mind, if I see your eyes closed, I'm going to think that you're meditating. No? Okay. (laughs) All right. Um, Keep in mind that when when I share the importance of having a daily devotional, I'm not saying that that should replace 
your regular Bible reading, okay? But it kind of, uh, it helps. I know I, I, I read uh, regularly in the Bible each day, and I still am helped by this because it addresses all these different things. If you're in, uh, I happen to be in the book of Jeremiah, that has a theme in it. But so often the things from this devotional are, are what helped me in a decision uh, for that day. So I'm just going to go and, and, and share these with you, and uh, we'll keep going till you're all asleep or the time is up. Page 93. This is going to be a little tough because there's not really good lighting up here, but I'll, I'll try to read it anyway. Page 93. The, the topic is changing our world, and the passage is found in Acts 17.6. Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. It's telling us, quick, name five Christians who literally changed the world by their presence. For a young person might say five Christians who have rocked the world. Think about Martin Luther and the Reformation, John Wesley and holiness, William Wilberforce and slavery, C.S. Lewis and apologetics and Billy Graham and evangelism. None of these men set out to change the world, but they set out to obey God one step at a time. That could also be said of the man who, besides Jesus Christ, is the greatest world changer in history, the Apostle Paul. Ironically, Paul set out to keep his world from being changed. He was content with being a Pharisee, keeping the law and making uh, more... Boy, it's hard and making some others, making sure others did too. He didn't like the changes that were being, uh, that Jesus brought about. Paul, Paul's world was changed and the whole world uh, changed as well. What does it take to impact your part of the world? Or the whole world for Christ? If we use Paul as an example, we would have to say unreserved obedience. Jesus told Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles world, and that's exactly what he did. What has God directed you to do? Remember, your world has to change before you can change the world. I always like the the final thing because that's the part that kind of sticks in my mind. You'll have to forgive my reading because, like I say, I, I can't hardly see the words up here. It's a little bit on the dark side, but anyway, uh, page 103. Can't already read the numbers even. This one is titled The Velvet Ant, and the scripture is 2 Corinthians 11:14. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. There's a strange little insect called the velvet ant, attractive as ants go, garbed in the thick coat of teeny hairs that feel smooth and velvety, but it's all a disguise. This teeny creature isn't an ant at all, but a wingless wasp with a nasty sting. After injecting its victims with venom, it lays its eggs 
in their incapacitated bodies. How like Satan. He's a venomous imposter who wants to implant his warped ideas into the dulled hearts of his victims. One of his cleverest strategies is to make evil seem desirable. I think we all see that in our society today. Just consider today's movies. Sexual sin of every type is glamorized and glorified. Profanity appears as righteous indignation. Fame captivates. Fortune beguiles. Violence tintillates. Or take modern faith fads. Satan doesn't mind if we become religious. Just so long as it remains politically incorrect to proclaim Jesus Christ as the only name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Paul told the Corinthians, I fear that less how I fear that I fear less somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by the craftiness to your minds may be corrupted from the implicity that is, simplicity that is in Christ. Be on guard don't fall for Satan's friends. No, I'm not going to have an excuse, am I? <laughs> That's just poor reading. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah, that helps. You bet. Um, page 120. Oh, here we get back. Reading God's word. It keeps coming back, doesn't it? First uh, Peter two two is the lesson, and I want you to kind of apply that to today as we read this. First Peter two two: As newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Bible scholar Wilbur Smith once wrote: One single normal issue of the Saturday Evening Post contains as much reading matter as the entire New Testament. Thousands of people read the Saturday Evening Post through every week. The number of Christians who read the New Testament through every week, or even one whole book, are so few that we need not talk about it. When Josiah became king in Jerusalem, he assigned workers to repair the temple. There they discovered a copy of the law in the ruins. No one had seen it for years. Josiah quickly reasoned that Judah's idolatry was directly tied to the absence of the reading of God's word. So he gathered all the people of Judah together personally and read to them the law of God and led them in a rededication to live according to God's word. What connections can you make between your spiritual life and your consistency in studying God's word? and that we could apply that to this nation as well. If you are not consistently in the Bible, it will be impossible for the Bible to be consistently in you. Wow. You see why these things make a difference to me um, and have helped so often? As I I, I look at our our nation and I, I wonder how many... How many homes don't even have a Bible? Or if they do, are they reading them? And we wonder why we're in a decline from a morality standpoint. Wow. Okay. 
123. Okay, 123 is titled Rewards for Being Faithful. Um, found in uh, the passages of Matthew 6, and it's part from verses 4, 6, and 18. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And 11th century, this, this happens to be one day that this uh, devotional applied to me personally, okay? Um, it was at a point in, in time that my job that I do right now, I wasn't very happy to go back to work. I, I never have been a, uh, in favor of politics per se, but there are things still that need to be done. But I was ready to hang it up and stay home. You can resign, you know. It's happened a couple of times in the last few weeks. Um, here's the lesson and how it spoke to me. An 11th century German king, Henry III, grew tired of ruling. He applied to a monastery to spend the rest of his life in quiet contemplation. The prior asked if he, a king, could live out a vow of complete obedience. I will, said the king. Then you are accepted, replied the monk. Your first duty is to return to your throne and serve faithfully where God has placed you. It's easy to grow weary of being a spouse, a parent, an employee, an employer. Some days we just want to quit. One woman who resisted that temptation was Abigail, the wife of Nabal. Abigail was understanding and beautiful. Nabal was harsh and evil. Abigail even saved Nabal from the sword of David because she chose to honor her husband instead of humiliate him. She drew joy and strength from God, not her surroundings, and God rewarded her when Nabal died. David was so impressed with Abigail that he took her for his wife. Are you tempted? To leave it all behind? Throw in the towel? Don't do it. Make God your joy and wait for his reward. We aren't faithful to get a reward, but we are rewarded for being faithful. You see how that spoke to me that day? Wasn't much that I could argue about after reading it. Page 201. How are we doing time-wise? I've probably got lots of time left, right? Oh, yeah. 201, the Meyer method is, and is found in Proverbs 14.30. And it's dealing with envy. Have any of you ever been envious of anything or any one? Listen to what it says. Proverbs 14.30. Envy is rottenness to the bones. Everyone is vulnerable to jealousy. The famous Bible teacher, F.B. Meyer, who struggled with it, found only one solution. Meyer often preached at D.L. Moody's Bible Conference in Northfield, Massachusetts, where he was popular and drew large crowds. But one day, another well-known Bible preacher, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, was invited to preach at Northfield. To Meyer's consternation, Morgan's audiences were larger. Meyer confessed to his friends that he was tempted to feel envious of Morgan, but he said, the only way I can conquer my feelings is to pray for him daily, which I do. 
Why is it that we feel a secret inner cringing when our close friend wins a free trip to Hawaii? When our co-worker gets a raise? When our buddy wins the MVP trophy? When our best friend's child gets a starting role in the play? Envy isn't just an inner emotion. It's a sinful attitude. Mark tells us that the chief priest handed Jesus over to be crucified because of envy. If you're envious of someone today, try the Meyer method. Pray for that person. It's hard to envy someone when asking God to bless him. Two oh five. Could read. I could actually open it up and read any of them, and they're and they're all good. I just pick some that, uh, especially if I had the corners bent over, because I have to go back and check those out every once in a while. Okay, this one the, the title is the benchmark of our faith, taken from First Corinthians fifteen fourteen, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. The Christian apologist and author C.S. Lewis made an interesting observation about Jesus' practice of saying to people, I forgive you. It is natural for us to forgive people for things that they have done for us. But what would you say if someone cheated you out of $10 and I say, that's all right, I forgive him. When a person goes around forgiving people who haven't done anything to harm that person, something seems amiss. The Pharisees caught the problem immediately when they once said to Jesus, Hold on there. Who are you to say, I forgive you? No one but God can forgive sins. Exactly. So Jesus was saying, He is God. Now anyone could make that claim, and many really have. What's needed is something to back up those claims. Jesus didn't say such things, all of which led up to the greatest proof of all. Jesus did many things, all of which led up to the greatest proof of all, his resurrection from the dead. There are some things only God can do, like forgiving sin and conquering death, and Jesus did them all. The resurrection is the ultimate historical benchmark for your faith. Jesus is God, and resurrection proves it. I love this part. Your faith can remain full because Jesus' grave remains empty. Wow. Two twenty nine. Asking for directions. Guess who this one is aimed at? Asking for direction. Proverbs 16.20 Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. An old sailor repeatedly got lost at sea, so his friends gave him a compass and urged him to use it. The next time he went out in his boat, he followed their advice and took the compass with him, but he still got lost. Finally, he was rescued by his friends, and disgusted and impatient with them, they asked, Why didn't you use that compass we gave you? You could have saved us a lot of trouble. The sailor responded, I didn't dare to. 
I wanted to go north, but as hard as I tried to make the needle aim in that direction, it just kept pointing to the southeast. The old sailor was so certain he knew which direction was north that he stubbornly tried to force his own personal persuasion on his compass. Unable to do so, he tossed it aside as worthless and failed to benefit from the guidance it offered. God's word is your compass. Use it on a daily basis to check in, to make sure that you are going in the right direction. Stubbornness and busyness can take you off course, but God's word is right there waiting for your return. Men, don't be afraid to ask for directions. That that was the one I was going to close with today, and then I thought back. There's one that I got to share with you, so I went back and made some little notes, and it's found on page 334. title of it is Empathy. Uh, The passage is taken from Ezekiel 3.15. I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. In his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey describes an experience on a subway in New York. A man and his children boarded the train And the children were so loud and rambunctious, they disrupted the entire car. The man sat down beside Covey, oblivious to the situation. How many have been in a situation like that? You know, where something that somebody or some group is doing that kind of irritates you? This is kind of a powerful thing. Um, Anyway... uh, Covey finally said, Sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man looked startled, then said, Oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think, and I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Covey's attitude instantly changed and he later admitted that he learned a valuable lesson. Seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Sometimes people irritate or hurt us because they themselves are in pain. If you lash out at, if they lash out at us, perhaps it's just the burst dam of personal frustration. Let's look beyond their words and see their hearts. Let's seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Is there anybody here that couldn't use that lesson? I know I did. I I think about it. We see on TV road rage where actually people have been shot. And I think there's times when people do things and I, I'm not very happy with them. So I would say things that are probably not very appropriate. But maybe I need to seek to understand before seeking to be understood. There's a lot of passages that talk in the Bible about not only being readers of God's word, but being doers as well. You know, uh, we, can, we could apply all of these truths in our lives, but 
or we could read it and not do any of them. Um, it's important. Uh, one a thought that came to my mind as I was doing this, you know, how foolish would we think of, well, we just did Christmas, so we have all these good things to eat. How foolish would we think of a, of a, a lady that was going to make a, a great pie, read the directions, and then did it her own way anyway? Pie wouldn't probably turn out all that good. How often do we do just that? We read it, knowledge by itself doesn't get it done. Keep in mind our relationship is what's important with God. Take him for his promise. We started out by saying, if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And I'll guarantee you, he'll keep his promise. But it's his guarantee that really counts, but he will. Let's close in prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to come and gather in your name. Uh, We're not here just to greet each other and say Happy New Year. We're here to worship you. We thank you. Uh, There are probably not as many people here as there normally is, but the most important one is, and that's you. So we thank you for your presence, not only in this worship service, but that your presence desires to be in our life every day. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.